I had the opportunity to see and hear Ryan speak two weeks ago. I was visiting my parents in Englewood, Florida, and attended church with them on Sunday. The previous Thursday, the pastor of the church had attended a local event where Ryan was speaking. Didn't expect to see him, but he was so inspired by Ryan's story that he asked him on the spot to attend his church on Sunday. Then the pastor changed the order of service. This, by the way, is a United Methodist Church, and the order of service is quite ordered in a United Methodist Church. Um, And he then brought Ryan up, described what Ryan had done uh, and is doing, and then turned the pulpit over to Ryan. This is not just a project for Ryan. It's his life's work. When asked what his long-term... Now, this is a kid that's 23 years old, okay? When asked what his long-term ambition was, Ryan responded that he wanted Ugandan citizenship so that he could eventually be elected to Uganda's Congress so that he can work for the education of all Uganda's children. Ryan's story so moved the congregation that during a coffee hour after the service, they raised over $11,000 to support his project. They had a few more members than we do. (laughs) Um, 900 members attended that church on the Sunday morning that I was there. Uh, Still quite an inspiration. It was on a whim, essentially, that Ryan spoke at this church, and it was a bit of a whim that we decided to attend that morning. um, When I do visit my folks, um, we usually don't go to church. We decided that morning to go. Ryan hadn't planned to speak, and he certainly didn't know this guy from Virginia was going to be there that was scheduled to speak two weeks later, and, uh, um, and that this guy, me, would pass on Ryan's story to his own congregation, hoping to inspire those listening to work for social justice. None of us know the full extent of the consequences of our actions, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant they are. Now, Ryan has a strong Christian faith. In fact, um, in another article, not the one that I read, but another article that I I looked at um, that was about Ryan, there's a picture of Ryan with a shovel in one hand and a Bible in the other. Perhaps he took inspiration from the Bible story of the wealthy man who told Jesus he had done everything he needed to do to get into heaven and asked Jesus what else to do. Jesus told the man, sell all your possessions and follow me. And that's exactly what Ryan did. He Um, When he started to raise money for the school, he literally sold all that he had and moved to Uganda. So Ryan's a Christian, but he might just as well have been a Buddhist. Um, For those of you who were here, I think it was three weeks ago, Mel Harkrader Pine spoke of the noble eightfold path of Buddhism. Uh, This is the path that the Buddha defined as leading to the cessation of suffering and the achievement of self-awareness, or self-awakening, excuse me. The Noble Eightfold Path consists of the following. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Seemed to me as I read through this list, Ryan seems to be well on his way to his own self-awakening. On the other hand, Ryan might just as well have been a Unitarian Universalist. His view, his intention, his speech, his action, his livelihood all promote several of the Unitarian Universalist seven principles. Now, this is where the audience participation time comes in. I'm going to ask each of you to pull up your hymnal. And just before hymn number one, go to hymn number one and then go back a page. 
there are the uh, seven principles of Unitarian Universalism. And again, this kind of speaks to my Methodist roots and how I was reminded of what they do when I was in, in uh, when I was in Florida. Um, they every week, and when I was growing up, every week, um, everyone repeated the Apostles' Creed. They did it all in unison. Um, and I, even though I haven't spoken it on a regular basis for about thirty years, it all came back to me when I was there. So. Anyway, I'm not going to ask you to, um, to say the Apostles' Creed, but I think um, I'd like you to, if you're so moved, to actually say in unison the, uh, the seven principles. And we'll start out with we, the members of the congregation, okay? So, we, the members, member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, acceptance of one another, and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, the right of conscience, and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in our society at large, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all, and respect for the independent web of all existence of which we are a part. I imagine we do that once every couple weeks, and that'll just be rolling off your tongues in no time at all. Um, these principles, as I every time I, I speak, I always go back to these principles because they really speak to me and what I believe in and how I want to live my life, and they really do shape um, the message that I that I have when I'm up here in front. If you'll notice, um, three of those principles, kind of in the middle, numbers three, four, and five, are inwardly focused, and, and they focus on how we interact with one another. The first and second and the sixth and seventh are outwardly facing, addressing society and the world beyond these four walls and the congregation. And it's those other four principles, those outward-facing principles that I'm talking about this morning. Ryan Kaminsky is working for social justice on an issue in, in a place that he has a great passion for, the education of children in Uganda. And, and likewise, I encourage all of you to work for social justice on issues that you have a great passion for. Maybe selling all of your possessions and moving halfway around the world isn't for you, but you can find your own way to follow the Eightfold Path and live the seven principles. I personally have two issues, um, social justice issues, in which I focus my energy. The first is individuals with intellectual disabilities, and my particular outlet for that is through Special Olympics. I coach my daughter's basketball team, um, and I'm a member of the Loudoun County Special Olympics Council, the, the gov its governing board. And I can tell you that the return that I get from Special Olympics far exceeds the time and the effort that I put into it. It happens constantly and in ways that I don't expect. Um, as I was preparing this message yesterday morning, I saw an email from a parent of one of the athletes, one of the athletes that's kind of struggling to figure out how to engage with his, with his teammates. And the, the content of, the, of the, the email isn't that important, isn't as important to all of you as, as what I saw on the bottom after her signature. It was the following quote. The quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence, regardless of their chosen field of endeavor. 
that's so relevant to, to my message today. It really spoke to me, and it was given to me as a gift, just sitting in my inbox kind of unexpected yesterday. This is also a benefit of doing things at very much the last minute, <laughs> as I often do. And, and as I said before, you never know the full extent of the impacts of your actions, no matter how, how small they are. I'm sure that she didn't expect me to reference a note that I got from her yesterday um, as I'm talking to you this morning. So um, individuals with intellectual disabilities is one of my passions. The other social justice passion that I have is, is climate change. Yeah, I, I said climate change is a social justice passion. Now, that link may not seem obvious to a lot of you. When you think of social justice, I imagine most of your heads go to one of several things. Um, may go to the civil rights and the work of Dr. Martin Luther King and many of others, others like him. Or you may think of the LGBT community and their struggle for equal standing and inclusion. It may be human rights, those those languishing as political prisoners in the jails of oppressive governments or the deplorable labor conditions that so many of the world's poor work under, whether it's building the grand stadiums of the World Cup in Qatar or making T-shirts in clothing factories in Bangladesh. Or it could be the social justice for you is all those young children, working with those young children who don't have access to a good education, whether it's in Uganda or Uzbekistan or Urbana, Urbana or Illinois, or maybe it's even working um, with the organization that we support here, All Ages Read Together. And those are the issues that I think we most often associate with social justice. And I expect that many of you are coming into this thinking that climate change is an environmental issue. It's about oceans and fish and the glaciers and the ice caps and the forests and biodiversity and water and weather and the polar bears. And Yes, indeed, climate change will have an impact on all of those. And in that sense, it's an environmental issue. But I see climate primarily as a social justice issue because of the unequal impacts that it will have on the world's population. This would probably be a good time to do a bit of grounding with some facts about climate change. Um, and I'll just kind of strip it back to the basics. For a long time, for more than 100 years, we've recognized, the scientists have recognized, there's this thing called, that we call the greenhouse effect, by which certain elements in the atmosphere keep our planet within a habitable range of temperatures. And also for more than 100 years, we've recognized that carbon dioxide is one of those greenhouse gases. In other words, it contributes to the insulating effect. It's widely agreed that carbon dioxide and the concentrations in the atmosphere have increased significantly from the Industrial Revolution from about 280 parts per million to just over 400 parts per million now. And it's also known that the combustion of fossil fuels um, by power plants, motor vehicles, to name a couple of prominent sources, results in the creation and emissions of carbon dioxide. So to follow this line from the greenhouse effect to carbon dioxide as greenhouse gas to, um, uh, to carbon dioxide concentrations increasing to the association with fossil fuels, that would tell most folks that, um, yeah, we're probably warming the planet. In fact, there's a lot of data to validate that. I'm not going to go deep on data, but I will tell you that there, uh, there's a report that's, that, that is in, kind of in the midst of coming out. It's coming out in four parts. It's put together by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC. It represents the consensus of the scientific community. And uh, they call this AR5, which is actually the fifth assessment report. 
they published in September what they call the physical science basis. Now, this is where it gets really interesting to me. There are key conclusions. A, there's unequivocal evidence that climate change is occurring and that human activity is contributing substantially to change. Two, without substantial and sustained reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, the increase in average global te temperatures will increase, will exceed two degrees centigrade. Now that's relevant because two degrees C is the threshold by which scientists, uh, or beyond which scientists agree that catastrophic changes to ecosystems and natural systems will occur. That's kind of the tipping point. And the report put a, a number on the world's carbon budget. And, and again, um, to give you some context, the numbers, total, they say total emissions can't exceed about 1,000 gigatons. Why that's relevant, we've already spent about 531 gigatons through 2011. So we're more than halfway spent on our, our total budget. Um, finally, scientists agree that countries' current emissions pledges and commitments would most likely result in a three and a half to four degree centigrade warming. So we're well beyond the two degree threshold. There's another AR5 report that's scheduled to come out in March of this year that describes impacts, adaptation, and vulnerabilities. Here's the link back to social justice. A draft of that report was leaked last year, and uh, in November, the Huffington Post put together a good summary of the leaked document. Let me just read through that for you. <clears throat> Many of the ills of the modern world, starvation, poverty, flooding, heat waves, droughts, war, and disease are likely to worsen as the world warms from man-made climate change. A leaked draft of the International Scientific Report forecasts. The report uses the word exacerbate repeatedly to describe warming's effects on poverty, lack of water, disease, and even the causes of war. We've seen a lot of impacts, and they've had consequences, climate scientist Chris Field, who heads the report, told the AP on Saturday, and we will see more in the future. Cities, where most of the world now lives, have the highest vulnerability, as do the globe's poorest people. Throughout the 21st century, climate change impacts will slow down economic growth and poverty reduction, further erode food security, and trigger new poverty traps, the latter particularly in urban areas and emerging hotspots of hunger, the report says. Climate change will exacerbate poverty in low- and middle-income countries and create new poverty pockets in upper-middle-class to high-income countries with increasing inequity. For people living in poverty, the report says climate-related hazards constitute an additional burden. The report says scientists have high confidence, especially in what it calls certain key risks. People dying from warming and sea rise-related flooding, especially in big cities. Famine because of temperature and rain changes, especially for poorer nations. Farmers growing broke because of lack of water. Infrastructure failures because of extreme weather. Dangerous and deadly heat waves worsening certain land and marine ecosystems failing. And it concludes, climate change indirectly increases risks from violent conflict in the form of civil war, intergroup violence, and violent protests by exacerbating well-established drivers of these conflicts such as poverty and economic shocks. Uh, that's kind of depressing, right? A little? Um, that article concludes with this guy, Chris Field, who, who headed the report, uh, writing the report, is saying he was quite optimistic um, because there is a focus on this. There is growing concern. There's a lot of action on a lot of different levels, whether it's cities or states or countries or the international community that's taking action. There's a recognition now 
that this is, there is a social inequity, um, a social justice issue associated with it. So all of these risks that are described in this report are not just theoretical. We've seen evidence of this very recently. You just think back to Hurricane Katrina, Superstorm Sandy, Hurricane Haiyan. Who were those that were most impacted by those severe weather events? It was the poor. And for many, it's more than an inconvenience. It's a matter of life and death. So that's why I'm passionate about climate change and why I see it through the lens of, of social justice. Um, I'm really fortunate to have been able to address that through my work over the last 11 years. Um, as some of you know, I've worked for a company called Sustainability. It works kind of at the corporate level with, with large companies to address um, climate change and their impacts. Beginning in March, I'm actually leaving sustainability, going to work for a company called uh, the Carbon War Room, which, as you may guess by its name, focuses exclusively on, on uh, the shift to a low-carbon economy. And I know that not everyone has the opportunity or, or the interest in working on climate change as a vocation eight to ten hours a day, but there are, are lots of different ways that each of us can contribute to this issue of social justice. This takes me back to the story with the kids this morning. I talked about a mosaic, and when viewed in isolation, any single tile was just that. It was just a tile. It appeared inconsequential, but as those amazing pictures that I showed um, demonstrated, um, each is nonetheless essential for this full, beautiful picture to be realized. And that's how I see action on climate change, or, or frankly, any social justice issue. If we think of the low-carbon economy as that picture that's the result of hundreds or thousands or millions of, additional t of, of individual tiles, then we all have some opportunity to contribute. We all hold a tile. Some of those tiles are very personal, very quiet. Reducing your personal energy consumption or buying a hybrid vehicle or an electric vehicle, doing things like opting for green power from your utility. Other tiles are more prominent, those bolder colors, if you will, advocating for change to elected officials, signing petitions, um, speaking at town council meetings or regulatory hearings. And some tiles are about joining organizations. Um, the, probably the loudest voice right now is an organization that some members of this congregation participate in, 350.org. And as, um, as was said earlier, uh, that organization is holding this day of action on Tuesday in response to the State Department report on the Keystone Pipeline. Another tile is financial investments. Lots of individuals, lots of institutions are, are backing those companies that are creating products and services that reduce greenhouse gas emissions rather than increase them. Others are divesting their investment, por investment portfolio of companies that make climate change worse. And I think you'll be hearing more about that divestment movement and a petition circulating for the Unitarian Universalist Association to divest its investments from the fossil fuel industry. The model for that is the divestment from South Africa back in the 80s uh, as um, there was a push to uh, eliminate apartheid. And uh, divestment was actually a critical tile in the success of, of that movement. Fossil fuel divestment is growing particularly on college campuses. It's raising the profile of the issue of not yet driving investor flight from oil companies. I don't know if this will be the, the tipping point. I think, again, it's probably one of those tiles that we'll see in the mosaic. And, and none of these tiles will move us to a low-carbon economy on its own. Replacing your light bulbs, buying a hybrid, turning down your heat, protesting the XL pipeline, divesting from, from fossil fuel investments, none of those is enough on its own. 
But it's the sum of all these tiles and their proximity to each other that will create the whole picture. One day, we'll see the solution, and that solution will depend on every single tile that's in the mosaic. Finally, given that today is uh, Super Bowl Sunday, I feel the need to reference a beer commercial. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Corona has a series of commercials whose closing line is Find Your Beach. Really creative, really compelling. And the message is that sometimes one's personal beach is not a beach at all, but a place or an activity that gives you satisfaction, um, satisfaction and solace. And while find your tile doesn't quite have the same ring to it, I hope that each of us can find the way that we can best contribute to addressing social justice, whether it's climate change or any other issue, one that speaks to the Eightfold Path, the Seven Principles, and your personal passion and talents. Amen.